Hello, Christ Chapel. It's good to be with you. Last day of the year, and uh, yeah, privilege just to be here with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 27. We're going to cover the last two chapters. That's page 936 in your pew Bibles. And uh, as you're turning there, there are so many inspiring stories of uh, just individuals who have an amazing amount of perseverance and grit. You could look at Helen Keller, for example, earned a college degree despite being blind and deaf. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Well, before he invented the light bulb, he discovered over a thousand ways not to invent a light bulb. There was, uh, there's people like Kurt Warner, you know, great quarterback, the whole movie made after him. Uh, there's uh, J.K. Rowling. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, she, before the success of Harry Potter, was rejected by countless, uh, you know, countless uh, producers who, who basically, they, they rejected her and she was a single mother, and she did that all before the success of Harry Potter. There's so many people who, I look at them and I think, I, I marvel at their strength and determination and their heroes in a sense. And I would imagine that at the top of that list would be the Apostle Paul. I mean, nobody had strength and perseverance like Paul did, but I would imagine that he would be the first person to resist taking any credit for that strength. It's not like it was in his DNA. He would point to something apart from himself where he, got, where he gets that strength. And it's a, it's a strength that is available to every single one of us. So we're going to see in Acts 27 and 28 where Paul gets his perseverance. I want to begin, though, at the very end of the book, just to faithfully say that we covered all of Acts. We're going to start at the very end. So if you would, flip over just a page and look at Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. Luke writes this about Paul. He says, he lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, if you're reading through Acts, you might find that this is an abrupt ending. It, it almost feels inconclusive because Luke has been following Paul for so long, and now you find Paul is spending two years under house arrest, and that's the end. He's two years sharing the gospel, and I want to say, and then what? What happened to Paul next? It's tempting to see Paul as the main character, but Paul is not the main character of Acts. The gospel is the unstoppable gospel, the way this book ends brings us back to the beginning of the book. In Acts 1.8, this is the fulfillment of a promise made in Acts 1.8 when Jesus says to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Rome represents the ends of the earth. I mean, it certainly didn't stop there, but when Paul arrived in Rome, he was spending two years under house arrest fulfilling this promise because he was preaching to whoever would want to come to him. He was, I believe this is where he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He was boldly proclaiming the gospel without hindrance. He was also, we learned in verse 16, he was assigned to a Roman guard, potentially chained to a Roman guard. And imagine that job being changed to Paul, you're on Paul patrol. 
I know, I was excited for that one. Um, you know, you're going to be changed. You're going to be changed by that, right? Paul freely shared. Now, what happened to Paul afterwards? He, it's generally agreed that he was released later, only to be arrested again and executed, beheaded under Nero. But uh, as far as Luke's purpose in writing the book of Acts, we find Paul doing exactly what he was called to do. He was spreading the gospel. And it's amazing when you consider all of the opposition he faced up to that point. I mean, over the last few chapters, we've seen just the full-on man's assault against Paul, from court charges to attempts on his life, riots, beatings. And then in chapter 27, we're going to look at, it's, it's if, if nature were a character, nature releases its fury against Paul. He's on his ship and he is going through a horrible storm, eventually shipwrecked, and of the 276 men on board, Paul, they're all saved, but Paul is the only guy who gets bitten by a poisonous viper, unharmed, and he still ends up in Rome under one of the most, you know, the worst persecutors of the church ever, chained to, to a guard, freely sharing the gospel boldly without hindrance. What in the world kept this guy going? Why didn't he quit? It's the same question we need to ask ourselves. Like, what keeps us going as we look at a new year? I'm sure we're going to, I hope we have smooth sailing. I hope none of us need this message. But we're probably going to encounter some storms, some difficulties. I swear that wasn't me. We're going to encounter some things that are going to demand some perseverance from us. What is our source of strength? What resources do we have? Well, I want to zoom in on an account that reveals where Paul got his strength. It's in Acts 27. We're going to look at verses 21 through 25. And I need to set this up before I read this to, to appreciate it. So Acts 27, verses 21. This, here's the situation. Paul is a prisoner. Uh, he's going from Jerusalem. They set sail from Caesarea, and they're going to Rome. And he's, as a prisoner, uh, this is a perilous journey. This would take, under perfect conditions, could, would have taken about two weeks. But they encountered a lot of difficulties and setbacks just on their way to their halfway point at Crete. Uh, somewhere along the way, they, sh they switch ships, and they get into a ship of Alexandria, which at the time was the Titanic. It was as big as ships get. Actually, boats did not get any bigger until the early 19th century. So this was a massive boat. There were, we learned there were 276 people on board. It would have uh, held 250 tons of cargo or up to 1,200 tons of cargo. To give you an idea of how much that is, because I can't picture that, there were, I read that it could take up to, up to 12 days to unload all that cargo. So that's how big the boat is. But they stop at Crete, and they're in Fair Havens. It's almost winter, and Paul, Paul sees that this is going to be a disastrous journey. So he says, I can see that this is going to be a disaster. We should stay here. But the crew, the, the crew and the captain all vote against Paul to say, no, let's just go a little farther from Fair Havens over to Phoenix, and that's a better place to spend the winter. And so the majority rules, and they set sail, 
And it's a disastrous choice because they, they hit tempestuous winds that force them out into sea, out into the middle of the Mediterranean, where they have to jettison the cargo. So that wasn't just a, you know, an afternoon. They're spending days throwing the cargo overboard. They come to a point where they have to dismantle the boat. They're unable to navigate. They can't see uh, stars in which they navigated with. So they're out there in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a storm. We read verse 20. Luke says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So this is the situation that we find ourselves. At this point, the men on board are cold. I mean, it's nearly winter. They're wet, been rained on. They're sick, they're hungry, and they're desperately afraid. And we come now to verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that will be exactly as I have been told. Okay, so storms, they bring out the best in us. They bring out the worst in us. I've heard it said that the metal of a man is tested in adversity. And Paul passed with flying colors, did he not? I mean, how in the world did he stay so calm in such a desperate situation? I believe he did it because he had some anchors of faith to hold on to. He had some anchors of faith. And I see three anchors of faith that, that, that Paul shares and what he says to the ship, his, his shipmates. So when setting sail for 2024, let's remember these three anchors of faith. And the first one we see in verse 23, he begins his address by saying this. He says, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. God, the God to whom I belong. Paul knew that his life was not his own. He belonged to God. This is the anchor of ownership. Paul didn't own his life. God did. He knew that he was not ultimately responsible for how everything turned out because somebody else was driving It's true for us as well, right? So the anchor of ownership reminds us of who is driving. Do you belong to him? Do you belong to God? If so, have you given your life over to him? If you've done those things, if you've given your life over to him, do you know what that means? God is not your co-pilot. Amen. God's not your co-pilot. He's the driver. Our job is to get in the back and let him drive, right? I hope you see how this is good news. It is, my life is not my own. I have no idea why that's happening, but hey, my life is not my own. It gives me peace to know that it's up to him. It's not up to me. I don't have to be in control. But honestly, when are we ever in control? You know, I will acknowledge, it is scary to be a passenger in a car, right? How many of you are the ones who pump the imaginary brakes when you're in the passenger seat? You're too close, you know? 
I'll be fine. I'm fine driving. And the moment I get over, my wife, who's a safer driver than I am, like is suddenly you know, a daredevil in my eyes. Okay, it's so scary to be a passenger, but we can breathe, exhale a sigh of relief when we consider who is driving. God is driving. He's, he's sovereign. He's absolutely in control. Colossians 1, he, he holds all things together by his power. It, I love Proverbs 16, 9. It says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So he's not just determining my steps. He's determining the steps of everybody around me. He's sovereign. He's in perfect control. And then the one who's driving loves me, cares about me. According to Matthew 6, he cares about the birds, and he feeds them, and he clothes in the, the, the lily of the field. And how much more does he care for us? He promises to take care of us. So this is good news because we belong to the one who is driving. He loves us. We can exhale. With him, there's no accidents. There's no distractions. There's no nodding off at the wheel. You know, I want to be strong for whatever lies ahead, whatever challenges lie ahead. I want the wisdom to be able to face whatever, whatever curveballs come my way. But what if I don't have the strength to handle tomorrow's challenges? Do I need to worry? No. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I, I might not have the strength for tomorrow's challenge. That shouldn't cause me to lose sleep. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness because I am not supposed to rely on myself. I'm supposed to rely on him. It's a good place to be. Some of us, but I'll say some of you are temperamentally wired to be responsible. You've got the gift of responsibility. And I'm intentional in saying some of you. I don't think I have that. I am married to someone with the gift of responsibility. So I know by contrast what that looks like, and I don't have it. I'm not irresponsible, I don't think. But am I right for those of you that I'm speaking to, it's a gift, but it's exhausting, right? Can I encourage you with this, maybe challenge you with this? You don't have to be responsible. You don't have to be in control. God is in control. He cares about you and about the people in your life more than you do. So the application is obvious. Give control over to God. How? Sounds easy to say that. How do you do that? Can I suggest this? Make it a priority to spend time with him. Make it a priority to spend time with him in his word, in prayer. Instead of immediately tackling the to-do list, the things that you feel responsible for, why don't you set aside time, slow down and spend time in his presence telling him what's weighing you down. Some of us need to learn to slow down and actually turn our phones to do not disturb and allow him to become big in our hearts again. So do you have worries and concerns and things that are you know, burdening you? Start your time by telling him what is worrying you, what you're concerned about. And as you do that, I will bet anything, as you spend time telling him how big your problems are, God will become big, and you'll find yourself telling your problems how big your God is. You belong to the one who's driving. He loves you, and he's in control, so give control over to him. Are you with me? 
All right, let's look at the next anchor. It's attached to the same sentence here in verse 23. He says, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. The NAS, the New American Standard Bible, says it this way, whom also I serve. So serve and worship are synonymous here. This is the anchor of service. Paul's purpose was to fulfill God's purpose. Paul was on a mission from God, and I think he understood this. As long as he was on a mission from God, he was effectively invincible until God was done with him on that mission. This is, again, true for us. There's no safer place to be than serving God, submitting to his will. Because when we serve him, we're safe. He's in charge. And this is the anchor of service. The anchor of service, uh, this reminds us that he sets our agenda. The safest place we need to be is serving him, but that requires us to let him set the agenda. So the anchor of service reminds us of who sets our agenda. You know, when I, when I read about the adventures that Paul was on, you know, that, it, it's no doubt to me that he turned over the planning portion of his life over to God, and it sounds exhilarating. I think it looked, it must have been exhilarating to be Paul. I don't, I think he understood that there were no random accidents. God was opening and closing doors all the time. I'm sure he viewed every conversation as a divine appointment. Every challenge as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to be used by God. Do you see your life that way? Do you view your life as an adventure that God has you on, one moment at a time, opportunities for God to use you, conversations as divine appointments? That, <clears throat> excuse me, that takes a really intentional mindset, does it not? And that requires us to let him set our agenda. I love that we, this is just a coincidence, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was quoted in the pastoral prayer. And that, that verse perfectly captures the kind of mindset we need to have. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your, on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Our job is not to understand everything that's going on, but to trust him and then to acknowledge him. In what? In all our ways. And the result is he will make straight our paths. Doesn't mean he will make, make, make our paths easy. You can actually translate make straight our paths as make smooth our paths. Meaning God will remove the obstacles as you're following him. A lot of us will, will look ahead and look past the God that is leading us to the potential obstacles in our path. And God says, no, eyes on me. I know that that threat is ahead of you, but I'm going to remove that. Maybe you don't have the support you need for this. I'm going to take care of that. But follow me one day at a time, daily. Keep your eyes on him. We might wander off path at times unintentionally, but our job is to, on a daily basis, go back to him and let him set our agenda. And just here's one idea on how to do this. Um, did I say the application, by the way? I think it's implied, but surrender your daily agenda to God. And one way to do this, let's say you are spending time with God, let's say in the morning, and you come to the end of your time, try this. Try pulling out your phone and you know, opening up your calendar and looking at the day's agenda and saying, God, what's your agenda 
for me today. I've got this lunch appointment with Jeff and Larry. How do you want to use me in that? We've got a play date with this family. How do you want to use our family? You, I've got an open pocket of time. What would you like me to do with that, Lord? Let God set your daily agenda. It's a straightforward idea. Because we serve him, our, God, our goal should be to surrender our daily agenda to God. And this brings me to the last anchor. It's in verse 25. Paul concludes his speech to his disheartened shipmates by saying this. He says, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. See, Paul heard an angel tell him not to be afraid because he has to stand before Caesar. Certainly, he, re- he also remembered the promise in uh, Acts 23, verse 11, that says, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. I think Paul knew that he had nothing to fear because he knew the faithfulness of God. So this is the anchor of trust. The anchor of trust reminds us of the captain's track record. Paul enjoyed the freedom of knowing the faithfulness of God, more specifically of the God who keeps his word. God, he had spoken to Paul, and God cannot lie. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can slow him down. Paul's confidence came from knowing the faithfulness of God. And again, this is true for us, but I must admit it's going to look different. What I mean is this. I have never received a promise from God that I must testify before Caesar, right? My, my, the promises I receive from God are not quite as specific as this one. So to apply that, if I were on a plane to Florida and we hit major turbulence, I can't say, it's okay, honey. I've seen the waves. I've seen the beach. God told me we're going to end up on this vacation. No, I I don't have that same specific assurance that Paul had, but I have countless promises from Scripture. There are so many promises, promises like, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. That's a huge promise. When I worry about the future, I'm picturing a future without the present grace of God being with me. There are so many specific promises from God. The anchor of trust means that we learn to rely on and rest in God, but more specifically in what God has said. So the implication, though, is we need to know the promises of God. The application is to take heart in the promises of God. Do you know the promises of God? I've listed some on the back of your notes, and I hope that's helpful. Those are some of my favorites. But I think more helpful than going to a list like that, because it's woefully incomplete, is to have a mindset where you're reading the scriptures looking for his promises, and when you come across a promise, you grab hold of it. You write it down. You memorize it. You call it to mind, and you wrestle it into your heart. You, You don't just take heart in a promise by reading it and forgetting about it. No, you have to bring it to mind and hold on to it and wrestle to believe it. So let me give you an example. One of my favorites is Isaiah 41.10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love that promise. I love it 
for a number of reasons. One, it's just relevant. Who doesn't struggle with fear? I, lo- I also love, he says, why? Why should I not fear? He's not just telling me, don't be afraid, you chicken. You know, he, he, he treats me like a human being, says, do not be afraid, and why? Because I'm with you. My favorite thing, though, is the way it's written. It's in the first person and second person. Fear not, Ryan, for I am with you. I, God, it's speaking directly to me. So I can take that verse as if it's God starting a conversation with me, and I can talk back with him. I can talk to him. He started the conversation. So let's say I'm afraid. God, you told me to, not to fear, but I'm, frankly, I'm, I am afraid. You told me that you were with me. I don't feel your presence, though. I, I know you are with me, but I don't know how you're helping me or what your strength even looks like right now. So you said this is true. I believe you, but I'm not believing you. So help me to work this out. And you wrestle with him. And as you do, you'll find yourself filled up. You're taking heart in a promise of God. Now, I think there's a lot of times where we find ourselves more anxious after we pray than when we started. Have you ever had that experience? That the, the, the prayer didn't make you feel better. And here's why I believe. A lot of times our prayers focus on the circumstances, not on the character of God. Let me be absurd for a second and say, let's say I'm worried about not getting a BMW. All right? I'm, I'm kept up and I really want a BMW. And I start, Lord, would you please give me a BMW? I just, now, if you want to answer that prayer, feel free. But <laughs> I, I might leave that prayer feeling more anxious because I should have an inkling that maybe God's not going to answer that prayer. Because what if it's not his will to give me a BMW? I, I think that you substitute with something more serious. We're worried about a diagnosis. We're worried about how our child's turning out. There are things that are real. We don't know what God has in store, and it might not be what we want, but he says, I will never leave you. Fear not, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. Take it one day at a time, because my mercies are new every morning. When we focus on the character of God, we can fathom facing anything because we know he's going to be with us. He's reliable. He's faithful. He's good. You know, these anchors of faith are trustworthy. We, we belong to the one who's driving. We serve the one who sets our agenda. And we trust in the one who's faithful. When we remember these things, and when, when your mission is God's mission, no setback can set you back. These are reliable anchors of faith. I'm mixing my metaphors here, so go with me, but these anchors of faith tune us into a different frequency. The, the world is saying one thing, and our lives are saying another thing, but these anchors of faith, they, they cause us to hear a different story. God is doing something despite the storms and the setbacks, and as we set sail into 2024, we need to be tuned into that frequency or holding on to these anchors. These anchors of faith, if they tune us to a different frequency, it, it makes me think of this story I heard. In October, October 16th, 1982, uh, it's the, the Wisconsin, the Badgers, University of Wisconsin played uh, Michigan State, the Spartans. I, they were rivals, 
And this was a miserable game. There were 60,000 fans, Badger fans. They packed out the stadium, and it was a really quiet game because the Spartans, they just smoked them. They, they, they were winning through the whole thing. So it was a really quiet game. But what's really weird is throughout that game, there were outbursts of applause and cheering coming from the crowd. Why would Badger fans be cheering when their team is losing? Because 79 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in game four of the World Series. People had their radios with them. And they were tuned into a different frequency. What they were seeing was telling one story, but what they were hearing was telling another. It's true for us as well, right? The things that are going around us, they might be setbacks, they might be storms and challenges, but when those things happen, we're reminded that God is doing something wonderful through our difficulties, through our setbacks, through our storms. He took the greatest storm, the greatest setback, and turned it into the greatest victory ever, right? What can be worse than the crucifixion of the only innocent, righteous son of God? The hope of the world was extinguished at Calvary. And what did God do with that? He brought about the greatest victory ever, when Jesus rose from the dead. The hope of the world was brought to a, a whole new level for us. And when we look at what God did for us in Jesus Christ, we're reminded that this is hard, but he is good. He's already given the most expensive gift he could give to us in Jesus. And what, what else he, is, is he gonna give us in life? It makes me think of Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is working something amazing in the challenges of 2024. And like I said earlier, I hope we don't need these things, but these are anchors of faith to hold on to in the good days, but especially in the bad days. So hold on to these anchors of faith. They are sure, they are reliable. I would say it this way, take heart, men, Take heart, women, for I have faith in God that it will be as exactly as we have been told. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the fact that we belong to you. You, you own us, you care about us. Thank you for the fact that we get to serve you and allow you to set our daily agenda. And I thank you mostly for the fact that you are trustworthy you are true to your word, and you've given us truths and promises to hold on to. My prayer, Lord, is that you help us to faithfully do these things. And show us, Lord, just how great of a God you are as we set sail into a new year. We love you. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.